So, Jeff, I don't quite understand how this works. What are the new Olympic sports coming and why should I care about one in particular? So uh, there were a couple, a number of sports announced that they'll be coming into the 2028 Olympics in L.A. Among them were uh, baseball and softball will be making their return. Cricket will be making a uh, debut, although I think they got to figure out facilities for that. And uh, probably most interestingly for, for our audience is flag football. Uh, will be making its Olympic debut. So is this seven on seven? Like, what are we talking about here? That's my understanding. Is that it's yeah, basically seven on seven flag. Um, I am mostly curious what the qualification process will look like, um, because I am very used to, to how World Cup qualification works, and that is a lot of fun with how some of those regional. Uh, qualification steps work. Uh, there is known in CONCACAF the hex in which the kind of six finalists play home and homes, and I can imagine that being a lot of fun and uh, some different environments that uh, a lot of NFL and, and college football players may be uh, not used to. You know, it'd be very interesting seeing the reactions of uh, many an NFL quarterback when if they're at the Azteca or you know Costa Rica or Honduras. I don't think that's actually no. I think it sounds great. Works. I think it's going to be sure a shorter, similar to how they do the rugby sevens. They actually have like weekend tournaments that they'll do, and the Olympics pull from the highest performers from from those kinds of tournaments. But uh, no, I think I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be an interesting way to show the sport to more of the world, as well as um, there. You know, I think a lot of athletes that get a chance to, to play and play at a high level and showcase themselves. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun time. I think that'd be great. I would like to know who's going to coach this thing. Uh, that's my my number one question is, who are they going to drag out in front of this team and say, you're now going to be our guy? So uh, I also have one other request is that they don't do this on sand because the Pro Bowl <laughs> used to do a lot of this. And uh, multiple players have had season-ending injuries in the offseason playing on the sand for the Pro Bowl, which used to just be in Hawaii, which, like, I wish they'd go back to doing that. Just make the Pro Bowl in Hawaii. I don't know. Um, Jeff, we had Legal Eagle Adam of the Moon Crew Discord come on and talk about the Pac-12 and how there might be a reverse merger at some point. I, I want to ask some quick thoughts here. You've called this the Irish Week for the Pac-12 this entire season. I think that's a great name for it. Uh, you know, it, it's, it really is the swan song of the conference, I would argue, because there's lots of people saying that this was all due to the mismanagement of so-and-so or the machinations of other so-and-sos. And I'd like to just point out that at the end of the day, an organization full of mostly public institutions had dictated to it by private interests on how they should be and whether or not they should exist. And I think that's my number one concern on all this. But I wanted to get your your take on this. I know you've got family on the West Coast. You've talked lovingly about the West Coast. And I know you care deeply about the health of the overall sport. Everyone has spilled lots of digital ink about the Pac-12 going away. But where do you, where do you see as maybe how this is all played out and this as the last great season of it as we may have multiple Heisman Trophy winners or Heisman Trophy finalists uh, in this year at quarterback? It's complicated, and I think a lot of it is multifactorial. I, th- I think the networks didn't see a reason to keep engaged to 
have that league together and didn't see that that league as a product um, together as something great, which is a shame. It's one of the most leagues in the sport. It's one with a ton of tradition. Um, and obviously for the fans having as many of those regional matchups where obviously distances are surprisingly large on the West Coast. Um, you know, your flight distance probably for you know, an L.A. school going to Seattle actually isn't that different than the L.A. school setting out to the Midwest. Um, I think a lot of us that aren't from the region sure. underestimate distances. Um, but you still end up with a lot of you know, alumni of some of your Pacific Northwest schools in, in Los Angeles or some of your uh, California schools in Pacific Northwest. So having those, losing those connections is a shame. And I think losing some of those games as a conference, I don't think is nearly as, as valuable for, for fans or to be honest for, for the networks as they seem to make it be. And I think that there's some complications obviously on the sides of the universities on how they've handled the difficult situation. Um, and I think it's, most things are a mix of multiple things. And it, I mean, it stinks. It stinks for a lot of those alumni that did like, you know, if you are a alumnus of Washington State and you live in, in Los Angeles, you know, you like being able to see your school every couple of years and that's not going to happen anymore. Um, it's kind of stinks for the exposure, particularly the smaller Pacific Northwest schools that they are you know, losing that power five status that they've had and they've played great power five football they've made these are teams that have made rose bowls um but it is a and they're going to be put in one a situation where they're in front of less people on eyeballs which is a problem for if you're saying hey we are co-equal to the university of washington it's harder to say that as well as the how losing that revenue is going to impact the sporting side as well as does does needing to make up for any obligations that you had in terms of debt is that money gonna have to come from elsewhere in the university and you really don't want money from elsewhere to the university having to go to service debt for athletics that's not going to be a good situation for the rest of the university i think that could turn a lot of people at the university off from from athletics as well so it's a tough I see you're calling out the University of California, Berkeley, specifically here. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. I, I, you're right. It's, it is complicated. And I apologize for stepping over you there. But, I, you know, L.A. to Seattle is about 1,100 miles. L.A. to Lincoln is like 1,400 miles, almost 1,500 miles. And, and you're absolutely right that these distances don't seem that great until you start putting them into calculators. I... We'll talk about it with Adam because Adam is he lives in Washington. Uh, he he has seen a lot of the court documents, which are super interesting that he dug that deeply into it. And I hope people enjoy it. I, I want to say you'll see this as a separate feed. Uh, it'll be in the feed, but it'll be a separate episode from our regular show. The uh, the big show. Is that what we're calling this, Jeff? Yeah. Uh, the entree. Keep, keep our. our That's family. right. Right. This will be an entree as opposed to the main course, which that's right. Uh, uh, as you see, folks, we're doing the stuff live in the middle of the show. We're planning. Um, I think that's going to be it for the cold open. And I think, Jeff, we should go right into it in a little bit. All right. 
And so welcome, welcome, welcome to the seven, week seven recap of Fedro Mascot. My name is Bruce. We're doing a split session today. So you're going to get uh, some brunch and then some dinner. And uh, I'm joined early with Jeff, who was on location at his game this week. Jeff, how are you and how are your travels going? Uh, they're going good. Uh, yeah, we're kind of in a in a little bit of a situation with the, the night game. And my brother-in-law worked overnight into last night. So uh, recording now so that we can have a little bit more of a leisurely morning and way back. But yeah, no. That was a, was a great game in Lexington. We had some brisk fall weather. Um, I ate a large quantity of chicken livers at uh, Ramsey's, and they had a pretty nice drink special as well before the game, so I recommend that to anyone in uh, that goes to uh, Lexington. And we had some foliage in the drive down, as well as uh, the pretty big Mizzou win, uh, which was fun to be with my brother-in-law, who's a, a Mizzou alum as well as we uh, ran into a number of other Mizzou folks at the game. And toward the end of the game, we were like the only people in the stands were uh, the folks rooting for rooting for the Tigers. Yeah, I watched a portion of this game. I, I watched it until it got mostly out of hand, which it did in the second half there. But uh, I'm looking over some of the numbers, and it's it seems that offensively, Kentucky really started to struggle at least per EPA, which has Kentucky as total of minus 10.17 EPA. Can you kind of walk us through what you saw here? I'm seeing a lot of turnovers, or at least the turnover margin swung in favor of Mizzou. I'm seeing a lot of ineffective offensive play in the second half. Walk me through what you were seeing here, and what did Mizzou, uh, what did the Tigers do to really stem the tide of what is ostensibly a good Kentucky running game? Yeah, and I mean, during the first quarter, Kentucky was really dominating on the offensive line, getting the ball moving, um, rushing the ball, and really Mizzou couldn't stop that either on the inside or on the outside. I mean, they're doing a really great job. Um, and then basically from the second quarter onwards, the Mizzou defensive line kind of reset themselves and basically stopped them from doing anything else and then putting them into passing situations that the Kentucky offense really isn't built for. Um, and that's where a lot of the turnovers came from is you're, you're basically forcing a, forcing them to pass when they you know that they're passing and they're really a team that's built on, on rushing success. And if they are throwing the ball, it's off play action where you're catching the defense off guard. So that really is where Mizzou won the game as they were able to absolutely flip the script of where the first quarter was, which was very much Kentucky just running down the throats really up until Mizzou after a couple of ineffective drives came out kind of where you would maybe think that they'd go for it on fourth down, brought out the punt team. There were some groans, and then uh, the groans switched pretty immediately when it was obvious <laughs> that became a fake punt. Um, and an excellent pass by uh, by the punter in the end zone that got Mizzou back into the game, and then kind of from that point on, Luke Bauer. That'd be Luke yeah. Bauer of Missouri. Yeah, and that I mean that was an incredible toss uh, for for the punter. But I think that that really kept Mizzou into the game, and I think there's some degree of 
change of confidence as well as you just kind of would have been in a much more difficult situation um, without those seven points. And I think another big thing there is Mizzou's built a little bit more to come back than Kentucky was. And that was something that I know we were talking with some, some Kentucky fans at stands uh, about that is that if Kentucky, once Kentucky got put into a position to chase, they just weren't built for that. So I really want to point out that that play that you're talking about, fourth and 10 from the Kentucky 39, Luke Bauer completes a pass to Marquise Johnson for a touchdown. That play has a 7.91 EPA. It is the highest EPA of this football game. And that play completely turns this game around. I also want to point out, to your point about Kentucky not being built for this, they had their quarterback went 14. This is Devin Leary, 14 for 27, 120 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. And that completely shows they could not get anything going through the air. And I'm I'm looking at their wide receivers. Their best wide receiver, Jordan Dingle, two catches, two targets, 32 yards. I it really is a testament to, to what Eli Drinkwitz is doing with the defense out there in Columbia, Missouri, that they are just putting teams into bad positions and forcing them to deal with that. And I, it's really impressive. I mean, look, Missouri is looking good. They, I think their only loss, let me double check, I think their only loss on the season is to Georgia. Do I have that correct? No, their only loss is to LSU. They played Georgia in three weeks. They, they've got South Carolina and then a bye coming up. Um, so you could have a really great matchup of that would decide the East um, in the SEC. Yes. It is in Athens. Um, and I think I'll say there are – Mizzou has a number of things going for it. I mean, one one big thing is Brady Cook at, at quarterback is very mobile, and when they're able to utilize him um, in option plays in bootlegs, that can really put a defense um, – off their feet. I mean, that's really where one of the things that Mizzou, after struggling um, in terms of to contain the Kentucky D-line, really did is they put him in positions to use his legs that kind of froze them up, and that opened up a little bit on the outside in terms of rushing, as well as in pass protection, um, as well as I mean, the Weiss for Mizzou is getting a ton of space on the outside against Kentucky's corners, which Kentucky is a very good defensive team. So I think we're there. There are reasons if you are Mizzou to think you can be in that game with Georgia. I mean, it's going to probably, I think it's going to be a great game. It's going to probably take a little bit of luck um, on Mizzou's side to win it. And it doesn't help that it's in Athens rather than being in Columbia. But, you know, I think that's a, a game to look forward to. No, absolutely. And and one thing I keep pointing out every week is how much are you playing on your opponent's side of the line of scrimmage? Eight tackles for loss by Missouri, four sacks for Missouri, 40% stop rate, which means they're able to prevent the offense from getting going on 40% of their plays. They're just stopping them for, I think it's two yards or less. Yeah. I, I just I mean, dominant performance. 
Go ahead. When you're when you're a team that is not built to pass and you're put into continuously and long situations, both stopping them running it, sacks. Um, there are also quite a few penalties that that went against the Wildcats. Um, that continuously backed them up in, in positions where they needed to uh, get some critical conversions. That that kind of was the ball game. No, you're absolutely right. And and again, like when you're watching it, you've got guys flying around out there. This is Drinkwitz has a really good team this season. I, I you know he was one of the coaches we were worried might not last through the end of the year, and well, they're now bowl eligible. They're bowl eligible. They theoretically are in if they if they win out, they win the SECs. Um, as well as Correct. they're they're bringing in some serious recruits, um, particularly in-state recruits, and some of that comes from a law that is in Missouri that essentially is if you are a high school student in Missouri, you commit to one of the in-state Missouri schools, you can take advantage of NIL as a high schooler. Um, which has been somewhat controversial, may not entirely be constitutional, uh, but that is something that the courts would uh, need to settle and guys are taking advantage of in the meantime. And that's led to some really big recruits that you would expect potentially without this might have gone to Oklahoma, um, right. a number of big schools that, that do come in from outside the state and they've been able to keep some of those state those kids in state as well as Drinkwood just has done a good job in general um, as a recruiter even before this law getting some some big recruits outside out of the St. Louis and Kansas City areas. Um, so they are really setting themselves up for success, and it's going to be kind of interesting when you have some of their old Big Twelve rivals coming into the SEC next year. How some of that shakes out. So I think those are going to be some great games if they can have the chance to play OU, um, which is one of a long-time rival that they've not played uh, really since they've joined the SEC, and I think that that's going to be... Right, 2011, yeah. ...an intense game. I hear that, and um, I am I agree that Missouri is missing out on some big-time rivals, particularly one, maybe possibly in Lawrenceville, Kansas. But yeah, I, I, I'm looking at it, and... Uh, They've got, like you said, they still have to play Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida, and they play them in consecutive games. So, I, you know, Missouri, put your chin trap on because you can beat, I think you can beat Tennessee and Florida. I think if you play a great, if you play like you did last year and like you can't, you took Georgia to the limit last year, you can beat Georgia too, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Georgia's okay. vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, We've seen, yeah, Georgia play with their food a little bit. So it'll be. They have, for sure. It'll be fascinating to see. Um, and I think you almost would expect Mizzou to have, as we've seen in a lot of games, have a little bit more offensive juice. So if if that becomes a situation where Mizzou can really frustrate the Georgia offense. Um, I think they've got a little bit more punch there. It'll just be a kind of interesting thing to watch of, as well that the Georgia defense is still the Georgia defense. So, but I think great point. Uh, it, oh, go ahead. Uh, 
Yeah, it's just a. I do think though, Mizzou has the talent to kind of go toe to toe. So, I think that'll be a great game, November fourth. I agree with you completely. Last word on this game. I was like, it is always a fun time to be places in person. Um, we can probably in the off season do some discussions as well of stadium architecture of, of holding in sound because uh, Kroger Field does that pretty well. Uh, they don't give you field points for your concessions purchases though, which is a shame. Can't win them all. I want to jump over. Uh, we have waxed poetic and made a lot of fun of the Hoosier State because there's only four football teams, including the University of Indy, who played a game against. I want to make sure I get this right here. Uh, they played it over Truman, the champion, right? This is the defending champion of their conference. Yep, and they uh, they won 38-17 in Kirksville. Um, so good job, Indy. They're on their way to having a good season. I agree completely. I'm excited to see them win. Uh, but there was another football game played in Indiana um, by a small private school. I don't think anyone's ever heard of them, but we called them the University of Notre Dame. Uh, Jeff, I know you live in Indiana. Have you heard of this team? Any any idea who they are? Yeah, I may have uh, heard a few words about about them. Awesome. Well, anyways, they played the University of Southern California. The Trojans came to town uh, and I, I got to tell you, this game was really over not long after it started. The the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, he had a rough game, um, is how I'll, I'll phrase it. Uh, so I'm going to read you a stat line for you. 22 of 36, 187 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, and six sacks. If I give you that stat line, that's Caleb Williams. How many total turnovers do you think the Southern California Trojans had in this game? I'm going to add on a couple fumbles, so make that five. I mean, one thing to note, um, both in Indiana as well as in uh, down here in Lexington, there was kind of just continual mist and rain with a little bit of wind. So I imagine that Potentially, we had a little bit of slippery ball situation uh, there. They had couldn't have helped anything. The Trojans had seven turnovers, four fumbles that they lost all four of them. Three turn three. Uh, excuse me, they lost all four fumbles. They had three interceptions, a minus seven turnover margin, and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish turned that into twenty-one points. Damn. It was just, yes, it was an all-out <laughs> destruction from start to finish. Defensively, Notre Dame was always on their side of the field. They had 10 tackles for loss, and then on top of those 10 tackles for loss, they had six more sacks, plus the three interceptions. Caleb Williams was consistently under fire and under pressure the entire game. Uh, they tried to get something going in the running game. Their 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 lead rusher was their quarterback. And it was great that he did so, but he did not carry the team on his back. And they, for the first time this season, faced a team with a comparable defense to offense. Uh, the, the Notre Dame defense is just, I mean, they put them in a blender and just would not let up. Uh, I was very impressed. Um, I also wanted to shout out that Jerry Rice's son, Brendan Rice, is a wide receiver for the University of Southern California. Didn't know that. Excited to see it. Well, that's neat. 
Oh, it is. He had two catches. He had two catches and a touchdown. Um, so, so we hit a Wright so, and a Sanders uh, on the field a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. There there are some real real nostalgic fans out there, uh, I'm sure, that had a good time with that. I certainly did. I saw they showed a picture of Jerry Rice at the University of Southern California practice, and it was like, oh, there he is. And he was showing his son. He was like showing his son uh, 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 some techniques on as a wide receiver. It was really impressive. Um, but uh, he didn't. That touchdown didn't put them over the top. They were just. They were overmatched, and that's that's hard to say for Southern Cal. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of things have been said about their defensive struggles, and. I think there was always a chance of if there is a game in which the offense is just off, whether that's they're facing a, a great defense like Notre Dame has, whether just guys are having a rough day, whether there's a weather situation, um, et cetera, they could be in real rough shape because the defense could not hold up the bargain if the offense has an off night. And I mean, we, that's what happened basically. Um, Yeah, I mean, the the Southern Cal defense had one tackle for loss in the entire game. The offense had a minus 25 EPA total, minus 25 total EPA to just, they were hurting themselves the entire game. And this was not a game where they had a lot of penalties. Like, they, they were not heavily penalized in this game. I I just... All of the defensive issues that we watched throughout the entire season all came to a head, and then they didn't score 50 points. They gave up 48 points, and they only scored 20. Uh, they were completely shut down. It was, I, I, I really was shocked. I knew their defense wouldn't hold up, but I was shocked after watching Notre Dame last week defensively put the hurt on the Southern California Trojans this week. I I just was shocked by that. Uh, it maybe it's all a mirage because Louisville then went and got dealt with themselves by Pitt. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. That I don't know if you watched any of that game, but they got no, dealt with by Pitt. Like, yeah, I watched it. Does it does was Brons pretty bad. Have pity for some of the old Biggie schools because Purdue struggled with Rutgers while he was there. Uh, losing to Pitt. Does he? Does he just want to prop up some of uh his old old Big East opponents? Oh, I. I mean, the other thing too is I think they were a team that that they were six and zero, but a lot of the fundamentals for for them weren't entirely there in terms of efficiency. I mean, they're they're a very good team, but they've got some weaknesses. But I think they're still in line for a pretty good season, particularly for where they were previously and and coming in first year of a new coach so that'll be i think they may not be a title contender this year but we'll have to watch in the next couple of years i mean i, I think, think you're right i'm looking at good and i mean I, I think they can still have a, a great year i mean heck they could still make the ACC title game um even with a loss so yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, I'm just looking at it now. Minus 24 EP total offensive EPA. 
for for the Cardinals and more importantly for turnovers. So it seems like protecting the ball is very important because teams that don't protect the ball tend to do poorly in games where they give it away. Yep. Not sure how to phrase that, but you fumble it twice, you throw two picks, one of them being a, a pick six. I, you know, you kind of I, it's hard to, to win football with the ball. Games. Yeah. Like that? Yeah, you do. <laughs> it, it comes down to you need the ball to get points, and you need points to win games. Hey. That's exactly right. That is Talking, exactly right. Talking, I know, right. about the nature of, of the sport of football. If we can get people to listen to our podcast, they'd be far more successful at this game. Uh, I, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Good job, Pitt. Uh, uh, they are not sure if they're in the driver's seat of their own season since they're one and two in the conference, but they are one and two. And uh, aside from uh, Florida State, North Carolina, and Duke, who are all undefeated, they, you know, if they went out. Maybe maybe they make some noise, or maybe they don't. It's hard to know. They've only yeah, won two games. I I mean, I don't want to like flatten teams. They're just always the same team. But Pitt is certainly having a very chaotic Pitt season, and they've been awful at times, particularly on, on offense. Um, but they've also had occasionally. <laughs> games where they've been successful. So, I mean, I think it's going to just be kind of down to if they can get off a couple more wins, I mean, get themselves in in position for a ball game. Um, If not, I mean, there's also the chance of it just being a a rough uh, season out in the Three Rivers. I mean, their next game is against Duke. Uh, This is Louisville I'm talking about. So, Big ACC uh, game there. And then their last game of the season, the aforementioned Kentucky Wildcats. So, going to be interesting. Going to be interesting. Final question. Were you able to watch any of Oregon at Washington? Yeah, I was able to see a little bit of it. Um, I was like, before we watched it. What did you think? That was, and I caught up on some, some highlights this morning. That's absolute firecracker. Um, and I think we expected that going in, that these are – I mean, these aren't teams with bad defenses, but these are teams with some great offensive talent. Um, both quarterbacks are very good. I mean, we've talked about oh, yeah. as, a, as a Heisman candidate, and I mean, he definitely had a great game uh, last night, but, but certainly some of that. Is, but Bo Nix is doing some great things um, for the Ducks as well. Um, one thing that I found really fascinating is both teams – did a pretty decent job strategically using two-point attempts to, to either kind of force that on the other team, and uh, Washington did a good job matching that, but Oregon did as well as making point differences kind of a little bit of a bind for the other team. I think that was a a pretty smart use of that, and as well, we, we got to see some great plays to get that um, some decent use of the Polcat formation, which you don't see. You see a lot of teams set up in that for a field goal and then motion back into a field goal position, and it kind of feels like you're doing nothing because very rarely did they actually go for it. So it's, it's great to see that actually used, and I think it's a pretty it's a very ingenious formation if you've ever seen that. So it's basically a 
You've got the center and the quarterback lined up. Um, quarterback's going to win shotgun. And then you basically have all of the linemen away from the center with a single receiver back behind them. So basically the center would snap it. Uh, quarterback or holder takes it, just tosses it over to, to that receiver who then has all of the O-line just right by them to push um, on the edge. And it's a, it's a, when you only need two yards, it's a pretty good way to get two yards. It's an impressive play. I really enjoyed watching it. That two-point conversion that Washington ran, uh, they threw it to the, to the fullback and he made just, it was an amazing catch and run into the end zone because the defender had a hand right next to the ball and he missed it. Yeah, this is a game of inches, as we constantly say, but uh, uh, Westover really showed me something. I was very impressed. It, it, it really, the strategic use of the two-point conversion was huge. I, I want to really, really stump for Michael Penix Jr. just played lights out. Uh, 22 for 37, 302 yards, four touchdowns, a pick, took a single sack in the entire game, and was just on one. I, I mean, just every pass that he threw over 25 yards was just a dime and like yeah it, it's, his, his receivers were also excellent like there were i know a oh yeah he balls to double coverage that he put it where only his receiver could get it and the receiver absolutely played that part of the bargain too uh so i gotta say washington's got talent over and yeah Penix is uh, he is a next level player yeah absolutely he really is. I, I Romo Dunze, the lead uh, cast pass catcher uh, for the Huskies, eight catches, eight targets, 128 yards, two touchdowns. At just unbelievable. Every time the ball was near him, he made a play. I, both touchdown catches were just beautiful to watch. I I have been saying this all season. I've been beating the drum for for weeks now, and I said it then, and I say it now, and I mean it. If Michael Penix Jr. When is if the Washington Huskies beat the Oregon Ducks, Michael Penix Jr. is going to win the Heisman, and I'll keep saying it until somebody stops me. But like, he now has the inside track. There's, uh, there's seemingly no one is able to stop him. No one has, no one has yet to stop him. He is just putting up numbers that are unreal, and I, I'm highly impressed with this guy. I'm, I, I love everything about it. He's. He's everything we would want from a college QB. Yeah. I mean, or I will say that's really all there's to it on the last drive probably had a chance to win it. And instead they went pretty low pace, tried to get themselves a long field goal and then missed the field goal that, that that would have brought them into overtime. Um, I think they probably could have gotten a little bit closer with a little bit more pace or even gotten a touchdown with the amount of time they had left. Um, with a little bit more pace in that last drive. That's, I think, probably the one criticism I'd have of, of Dan Lanning and um, the Ducks. But, uh, I mean, that was a great game. I mean, it's, it is unfortunate that a conference that's given us so many great games this year is falling off. And yes, we'll see Oregon and Washington is a Big Ten conference game, which... Anyways, that is 
You can't see, but I'm making faces. It just, it just, that just sounds weird. I want to, I want to push back a little bit on this. I, Dan Lanning is uh, no punk, and I, I want to give him credit for that because number one, on fourth and goal in the second quarter, they could have kicked a field goal. Game would have had a different outcome. They went for it, didn't get it. Earlier in the game, they went for it on fourth down in the fourth quarter, didn't get it. At the end of the game, they were playing for the field goal and they didn't use tempo to your point and it failed them. And what I want to say here on fourth and goal from the one Oregon stopped Washington in the fourth quarter with six minutes left, six minutes, 33 seconds left in the game. This was a game where both sides were doing everything they could to win it. I will not fault the team. I will not fault him for taking all the shots he could went for it for, went for two got it tried to get the fourth downs couldn't get it could have kicked the field goal which would have had a different outcome in the game you know they did what they could to win the game and i i that impressed me i think landing is a good coach and that's going to serve this team well because they're willing to take chances i you you will always have my my favor if you are doing what you can to take chances to win the game and again i don't blame the kicker because it was a cold, rainy day, and it, it, the rain had stopped by the time he kicked it. But, hey, man, I, you shouldn't have put that guy in a position, even if he's kicking from the dead center. It, you yeah. shouldn't have put him in that position. Should have went to win the game. But, yes, Washington scoring. Like, other people said, did they score too fast? No. They, you need to get the lead. It doesn't matter how fast it takes. You put your defense in a position to win, and they did, and their defense won them the game. Because on fourth down, excuse me, on second and 10 from the 25, Washington stopped them two plays in a row. On first down, it was incomplete. On second down, it was incomplete. With the game on the line, Washington's defense held strong. Doesn't matter what the score is. All you care about is who has more points at the end of the game. Yep. So, very impressive. Uh, I'm going to ask you, do you want to do a vibe check? Um, I was like, a couple things. Uh, Iowa is in the driver's seat for the Big Ten West. That's correct. Which... All of the talk and bowl eligible. Yep, and bowl eligible. All the talk kind of going into the year on the offensive coordinator situation. Uh, it's probably not ideal for some of the, the tougher games in the Big Ten. But at the same time, they've handled their business. They've obviously had injuries that I think have, have made things a little bit tougher on the offense. So that even sure. if you had a different play caller or some, some different play design, I think you'd still not be in the best position on offense, but they've, that Iowa defense is elite. Um, they've, they've beaten, they beat Wisconsin this week. I, I think they're kind of in the, in the driver's seat. I can't imagine um, them having any problems with any of the, the teams in the division. They've got Floyd Rosedale. Uh, we'll see kind of how things shake out in, uh, they're the rest of the West. I think they're in the driver's seat and air force is in the driver's seat for, um, the G five bid in the mountain West after taking down Wyoming. Um, although we might, I guess we're still in the situation. We might have a, a rematch there or with a matchup with Fresno, um, in the mountain West title game. And I think either way, either one of, uh, those teams in air force, I think it's going to be a good game. It was a, it was a, I did not have a chance to catch it, but score-wise, it looked like it was a good game last night. Um, 
with the Falcons and the Cowboys. So I think uh, completely understand. That'll be a great thing to see Air Force there. They'll probably win the Commander in Chief's trophy. Um, we'll have, and yeah, I think we rarely get a academy in uh, kind of those premier bowl games. It'll be pretty cool to see if that happens. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, in some HBCU football news, uh, in the SWAC, the uh, Alabama State Hornets went and put one on Jackson State. And then uh, Alabama A&M put one on Grambling. Mississippi Valley State got their first win of the year against uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff. So great job, Delta Devils. Uh, Texas Southern beat Bethune-Cookman, still searching for their first SWAC win of the year. Um, and then on the other side of that coin, the MEAC, uh, the uh, mighty Spartans went to Nashville and lost a heartbreaker at Tennessee State's homecoming, 24-17, a game that were down 17-0. They battled all the way back to 17-17. Uh, and then the Tennessee State Tigers pulled it out in the end. And then Howard went all the way up to Cambridge, Massachusetts, to play the Harvard Crimson. And uh, they came out on the bottom of that, 48-7. to uh, So Howard did not pull out the win like I was hoping. So good games all around. Uh, I watched the Norfolk State game. I was there the entire time. I was like, man, we're going to do it. We're going to pull it out. And then had all the momentum. And then Tennessee State kind of pulled away at the end there. Uh, one thing I will point out, uh, I am consistently baffled by the choices that are made uh, by the offensive coordinator and the head coach. And uh, very frustrated with how the very frustrated with how the Spartans played in that game. They completed a total of eleven passes, and uh, one of those passes went for picks. Uh, so, not happy. Not ideal. <laughs> not ideal is exactly right, Jeff. Hope you travel safely and hope you get home safely. I know you got a lot going Thank on. You. Anything you want to leave the people with before we get out of here? Um, I'll say I think we are kind of have an idea of who some of the contenders in most of the conferences are now. Um, and I think, I think so. It will be interesting. Cause I mean, we still have a number of big matchups. And the thing is we can still, we're reaching the point of the season where people think that they're in good positions. And then uh, some utter chaos could happen. And that is always one of the most fun bits of the season is when you get into late October and you've got, a team like Ohio State thinking that they're in the driver's seat somewhere and then somebody just kind of trips them up. Um, we still have between that triplet in the Big Ten of Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Uh, they have yet to play each other on any of the levels, and I think that will be one of the more fascinating groups of three teams in a conference to see because all any of them uh, could, could win that eastern side of the Big Ten. Um, and in theory, get to the playoff. Um, and we've got that, obviously, in the Mountain West as well. There's still a chance that somebody could beat Air Force in the title game for the Mountain West. So a lot of fun football to be played and also some chances for uh, some chaos down the line. And we all love some chaos. We all do. I'm excited to see how that all plays out. Penn State clearly showed Iowa that, you know, you're still on the second tier. And hopefully if they see them again in the, the Big Ten championship game, who knows how that'll go? But uh, Michigan still looks pretty good. I don't know. They're they're pretty good. Uh, Jeff, do you want to tell us about the uh, marathon? Should be the half marathon you're going to be running in January yes. 2024. I'll be running a half marathon um, to benefit Cure Rare Disease, which is an organization 
that works to find cures for rare genetic disorders. Um, we've got the link in the show notes if you want to um, donate for that. And also, yeah, I look forward to uh, Blue, the uh, interview you've got with Adam. That'll hit your feed, everyone's feeds uh, later this week. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, we may have to actually record an update because Adam was texting me and saying, hey, actually, there's been some movement here. So uh, we may have to do a follow up coming soon. Uh, I, I just want to make sure I leave everybody with look. I understand everyone's got compunctions about what's happening next year. Let's worry about next year, next year. Let's worry about this year, this year and uh, watch all the games. The games are going great. People are having fun. That Air Force Wyoming game was a banger. I, I wish people would have stayed up and watched it because it was a great game. Uh, Miami went and put just they that handshake at the end. You can tell Mario Cristobal did not want to participate in that handshake because he tried to get away. And Mac Jones has given us a whole lot of good ones because he tried to get away and Mac Jones grabbed the body arm. <laughs> so. Oh, uh, the wizard is just going to keep it up until he loses one. So who, who, he he might lose when he plays Mike Elko. And I'm excited to see how that's going to go down. Uh, so exciting football in the Atlantic Coastal Conference. Uh, but as always, we try to get everybody to watch as many games as you can. Vibe checks are always going to be welcome. And uh, we want you to come watch football with us. Uh, uh, Jeff, oh, you might not have it pulled up. Let me see if I can get it pulled up here. No, go ahead. Vamp while I try to pull this out. Fall, fall is wonderful. We got the football. We got the leaves changing. Beautiful bit of leaves changing. Uh, brisk weather. So, yeah. Uh, enjoy every bit of it. If you're just sad about the state of the sport changing, uh, I mean, there's just so much to enjoy as well. Uh, got it. I just want to say, next week, Jeff. Events, uh, yeah, having a little bit of, of optimism in terms of, of fall is, is nice. So, Jeff, next week you're watching Air Force v. Navy. Yes, I am, which is, that's going to be, obviously, part of Commander-in-Chiefs. So I think Air Force has the inside track there. Um, they're the better team, certainly, at the moment. Um, but, one, when you've got two of the academies, you always, with the way that the option offense works, is a probably higher chance of an upset than you might normally see. Um, as well as, I think, Navy they would probably like to deny Air Force an opportunity at a commander at a near six bolted. Um, and I think Army is going to be in the same situation as well, wanting that. So I think that could be a chippy game. And in particular, um, the way that a lot of the inner service rivalries work, uh, a lot of the Navy and Air Force do not, or the Navy and Army do not respect the Air Force as much as they respect each other. So, that is an opportunity to be a rivalry. They do not. Well <laughs> they do not. <laughs> it's going to get ugly. Uh, next week, uh, one of those big games you mentioned, Jeff, I, I've got Penn State at Ohio State. I'm excited about it. Uh, Nittany Lions and Buckeyes are playing in Columbus. And I, this, is, this is it, uh, James Franklin. I, I've been waiting on this. You've been talking about it. Everyone's been talking about it. Listen, I need to see some football. Y'all need to make something happen here. I need to see points. I need to see defensive stops. I need to see upset. I need to see someone at the end of the game say that they are bitterly disappointed with the officiating today. I, I want to see it all. Give it to me. All of us will be watching Utah versus the University of Southern California. That game, it, who knows? It could be a high-flying affair. 
it could be very ugly because Utah will love to win a game where they stuff you in a phone booth and say, we're going to fight it out in a phone booth. So who knows? Yep. And we're, we're monitoring Toledo and Miami, Ohio Red Hawks. I, I might turn that game on and watch a little bit of it. I love Mac football. Uh, we'll see what's going to happen. We'll see. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen. but That's a big part of the Southern Conference. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting one to watch. That'll be it. And so we're looking forward to it, and we're excited to have you watch those games with us. And as always, don't forget to feed your mascot. All right, we're coming in hot this week, Josiah. We already recorded the first half. We're recording the second half now. And uh, I need a CFL update. And just so you know, I am going to stick this week, take off to the Great White North underneath as you're talking about it. But tell me, what's happening in the Canadian you football? Know, it's a similar picture to what it was last week. Teams are kind of securing their home games and stuff. Um, but that final spot, it's it, it looks like now it's coming down to, to Calgary or Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan still got a lead on them, but Calgary won their game and they're 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 not that far back so it, it it's it's kind of still up for grabs it's it's exciting you know <laughs> so but yeah i mean it uh, weird things can still happen there's enough games left that but yeah it, it's pretty similar to the previous weeks where it just kind of uh waiting for the shoe to drop for somebody and then to get kind of cut out of the picture yeah so when when do you think we'll know who is the last team I would say probably <clears throat> it just depends on how well Calgary keeps doing, but <clears throat> I think I think honestly it may come down to the last week or two. Um, so okay. yeah, I think I think the last week of play might it might be where you see it really get shored up there. But yeah, it's it's only a three or four weeks left, so it's it's not much. But probably I would guess next week is when we'll get like a pretty definitive. This is who it is. That would be my that'd be my take. But you know, weird things can happen. It's a three down league, so you know. I I have a question about that, and I don't know if you have it if you if your eyes on it. But are there any head to head matchups between those two teams, Saskatchewan and Calgary, between now and the end of the season? And I apologize putting you on the on the spot there. You know, I, I meant but. To- this i just did not grab it initially Um, sure sure i think i think wait okay here we go looking at this all right yes actually (laughs) um actually uh next week they are going to be playing so that could determine quite a bit um and then yeah after that they just sometimes they teams will play each other. Yeah, there, there's, there's, there's only two games left for Saskatchewan. They got to buy on the last week of the season, so which is a heck of a time to get one. <laughs> but Calgary has three games left. So with Saskatchewan having a one game lead on them and then doing a head to head, that could really that could be that could be that could be pretty huge. All right. Well, I'm certainly keeping an eye on it. Uh, uh, our Canadian Football League, which I think is very good. And listen, if you ever want to get a different experience in your football, Canada's got you covered. Josiah, I see you've got a Green Bay jersey on today. Are you watching any Green Bay this weekend or have plans to? They are on a bye, but I mean, I'm still pulling for them. Hopefully they'll win against the bye this week. It's it's been been tough sling. I think it's a... 
I think it's Detroit's year to win that win that division. Um, so you know it's fine. Uh, we'll we'll get back there. But I, yeah, I I will be watching them, and I will probably be following the other teams. You know, you, I think you got the Vikings and the Bears are uh, are uh, are are playing today, and and so you know see how that shakes out. But you know the hapless Vikings. Oh yeah, they're playing late. I mean, the Bears got a win recently. I mean, they got a win on on uh, Thursday night. So, I mean, you know, things are looking up for the good old NFC North. Used to be NFC Central when I was younger. Good old noted Central City Tampa Bay was in that division. It's actually Tampa. Tampa Bay is the name of the team, but the, the city is Tampa, and it is in the dead center of the United States. I, I want to ask you. I want to ask you a question. You watched an ACC banger of a football game that was a banger at first and then started to become less of a banger as it went on. Uh, I'm talking about the Miami Hurricanes and the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. What what did you see in that? What did you think about it? Uh, and then I watched the I watched the second half. So I want to talk about the game too. Uh, uh, lead us off here. What, what, what were you, what were your uh, what stood out to you in it's this been, game? It's been it's been impressive to me how UNC felt kind of early on in Mac Brown's career there or not career. Right? It's his second stint at UNC, but you know when he came back, took over. And they had these just incredible offenses. That team felt so thin in certain ways. And I don't know how to – that's the best way I can describe it. Like, it's sort of like, you know, a Mike Leach air raid team, but a little bit a little bit worse on defense is what it felt like. And this one, they, they – they're not, I'm not saying they're good on defense, like capital G good, but they might be good enough, which is all you need to be when you have the offense that UNC has. And, and man, the other side of it is watching Miami – They've got some dudes, especially on defense. One guy, uh, Cameron Kinchins, had nine tackles, solo tackles, no sharing on that one, two tackles for losses, one sack involved in that. Also defended two passes. That's a safety um, all over the field in that description there, and, you know, just, just knocking stuff out of the park. And that's a Miami player, and, and they lost pretty substantially. And so, you know, Tyler Van Dyke is a good quarterback. His, some of his numbers were better than Mays, and – Miami's got some guys. They've got they've got the pieces, but good grief, man, they just cannot put it together. And as much as it, it might be an, a bit of a tired talking point, you know, at, at a certain at a certain stage, you look at Mario Cristobal and go, this guy might just not be capable of winning the the big game, like the big game, you, you know, like. I'm not, oh I'm boy! Uh oh. Okay. I know. I know. But <laughs> that's a, saying, a dangerous I'm tag you're giving him. <laughs> and I don't. Sometimes it's been personnel, you know, and that's normal. But it feels like it's something else this year sure. because you've got guys like Tyler Van Dyke, and you've got guys on defense that can have a performance like Kitchens or Kitchens did. Like there, there, it's there, and it just reminds me of watching Texas from the last decade, kind of even before Sark got there, where they had some of the best recruiting classes in the Big 12. But when they got on the field, it, they, there's just such a, a disorganized nature to it that you could beat them. And, and it feel it kind of felt that way watching Miami, where UNC, you know, you got Mac Brown. That's a steady hand. Oddly enough, a, te- a former Texas coach, you know, even if his hand, if he's very CEO-like, he's just, he's seen so many games that he knows how to just kind of kind of ride it out and man that UNC with Louisville losing looks like they could have a real shot at if not a playoff berth you know 
a very good New Year's Six Bowl. They're they're you know they're gonna have to beat Florida State, but they're they're really good. And Miami could be right there with them <laughs> if not for some weird stuff that's happened down the stretch. I mean, going from not tied but close at halftime to a Fetty whopping where you know it's seventeen to thirty eight and and the thirty eight is the other team. That's it's not a great that's not a great game progression. No, you're absolutely right. I so I, I've thought about this a lot when it comes to Mac Brown. I I think Mac Brown is a one coach. He, you know, this is his second stint at the University of North Carolina. Mac Brown is a University of North Carolina man. He's been there really he's really an institution at the place. If we're kind of if we're gonna be open about it. But one of the things I find interesting is this this staff that he's put together. Mm-hmm. On it. You've got Mac Brown as the head guy. Fine. We all get that. The office of coordinator is a man by the name of Chip Lindsay. He actually takes over for Phil Longo. Phil Longo left and went to Wisconsin. But Chip Lindsay was also a head coach. He was the head coach at Troy for a few years in 2019, 2021. They didn't win anything. They won five games a year every year. They didn't win the Sun Belt. They didn't even win the east side of the Sun Belt. But he was the head coach, so he's got head coaching experience. He's got the <laughs> aforementioned Gene Chizik. That's his guy, right? They've been together forever. Gene Chizik has won a national championship. Yeah, you despite, know, him, being the despite him being the head coach, he won a national championship at Auburn. <laughs> you know, he didn't stop them from being, winning the, 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 the game there, but he, he has a national championship under it. He also has another gentleman by the name of, 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 of Tommy Thigpen, who was a head coach at BMI. Mm-hmm. At, there are multiple former head coaches on this staff, four total. And, and you know, that's a, that's a big deal when you're building a staff. Mac Brown, despite, you know, really being a year younger than Nick Saban and maybe staring in the face of retiring one day in the nearby future, he's got a bunch of younger guys who he can say, hey, go, go handle the offense. Mm-hmm. Just, just yes. go do that. <laughs> Good old Mac Brown says you can go handle the offense, young man. And Gene Chizik, no. you're my guy from long, you know, not to step over you there, Josiah, but like if this guy knows what he's doing, is what I'm trying to get at. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Good. What were you gonna say there? I was just gonna say the comparison to Saban is apt. Not sure. I'm saying in terms of results, because Mac Brown's teams have been very good. They have won titles or a title. He won a title with Texas, but you know, it's but he, yeah. It it I it's interesting which co- coaches accumulate and then retain at least for any length of time former head coaches, and which ones don't. And when a guy like Saban and Mac Brown can pull in former head coaches and then you know eventually lose them to other jobs, it's it's interesting as an approach that there's sort of a I don't know it, it's it, he has a very I don't want to say Godfather because that sounds more. Mac Brown's, although maybe that's about right. He's sure. Really nice. He'll smile at you and then he'll shoot you in the face. Yeah. I mean, those handshakes, man, are the most threatening handshakes I've ever seen. I want to talk about the handshake. I, 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 so <laughs> I pointed this out when they, their first game against uh, uh, the younger, uh, he's the coach of South Carolina. His dad was coach of Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, why am I blanking? Beamer. Beamer. That's right. So, 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 yep, so yep. Uh, Shane Beamer is the head coach in South Carolina. They play their first game against the University of North Carolina. At the end of the game, Mac Brown like literally wraps his hand around Beamer's throat. It's like, okay, hold on a minute, Mac Brown. Let's 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 slow down, okay? And then 
as the, the games go by, they've won six in a row. They're bowl eligible. This week, you know, he goes to shake Mario Cristobal's hand. And you can tell Mario Cristobal does not want to be here. And he <laughs> sticks his hand out from a distance and tries to get away immediately. Just like, all right, thanks, Mac Brown. Great game. And good old Mac Brown says, you know what, Mario, I want you to come and grabs him by the elbow and pulls him closer. <laughs> it's fascinating to watch Mac Brown spin week after week getting into these handshake confrontations. I, It really is. <laughs> it's something else. <laughs> it's almost more interesting, and I don't mean this as a slight, or it's as interesting as the game itself to me at points. Like, in a smaller sense, like, if they win, I'm like, okay, I have got to see what the handshake looks like. This is going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a clip, but it's going to be must-see TV for about 5, 10 seconds unless he holds him for longer which he does do sometimes he does <laughs> but no i you know i i, I want to talk a little bit about the x's and o's if you don't mind I, I watched the second half of this game the first half of the game miami really to your point really showed me something they they came out hot they scored i think almost 17 unanswered points to start mm-hmm. the game i mean they, they jumped all over unc and it it looked like they were going to bounce back from really one of the most disgusting losses yeah. that a program can have. And then after that, it falls apart almost instantly, yeah. right? Like, I I don't quite understand. So, I'm sorry. They go into the half, 17-14 Miami, and then they don't score again until seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. This is yeah. Miami. So, Miami has the lead at half and then watches as they just don't, they're completely ineffective after the second half begins. And Van Dyne, Van Dyke, excuse me, he he goes in this game 31 for 48, 391 yards, four touchdowns, two picks, and then three sacks, which just – these are back-breaking sacks. Like, these are sacks that killed drives. These were not like, hey, first down, everybody was covered. Like, these were drive-killing sacks. And to that point – the University of North Carolina had seven tackles for loss and three sacks. So 10 plays, they were just disrupting the Miami offense. I, In watching this game, did you have a sense offensively that even though Miami put up 31 points, a lot of that was in quote-unquote yeah. garbage time? Like, what did you get in that second half? Like, what were the adjustments that North Carolina made that really put it, this it game out of hand? It feels like they're I, – I, I'm not an X's and O's guys, but – you know, the two interceptions that he put out were both in the second half. And one was, you know, sort of late game. You're taking chances because you're trying to come back kind of a thing. But even there, you know, then you get a fumble sure. as well in the second half. They had four turnovers total. One came in the first half. For, like, yeah. You know, three turnovers in one half is a lot. And some teams can survive that. But usually only if the other team is turning the ball over at about the same rate. Um, but it feels like they just, you know... I don't even know exactly how they shut it down, but it feels like the passing attack was just really, really limited in some capacity, especially when you see how the interceptions, when you get, you know, there you have drives that go, you know, you have, um, and this is including a drive with an interception, but I'm going to count it. You have drives that accumulate 30 yards. That's a fumble. Zero yards. That's an interception. Negative two yards. That's just three plays. 19 yards and six plays. You know, and then they get some more steam, but that's garbage time. Nobody's really paying attention there. 
and it just it just locks it down. And Van Dyke, you know, he's he's a guy who can throw you. He, he can win a game with his arm, but it, you know, you, you can't just <laughs> you gotta let you gotta give him some help. And it 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 really felt like the whole offense just got kind of shut down. And yeah, especially when you're able to force them to make these mistakes to give you these turnovers. And then blow for blow, you're 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 scoring touchdowns, you're getting field goals. There was a stretch where out of in like I think it was let me see. Out of like five drives, they scored four of them. And if you include This is my this is my North Carolina. Six drives, they scored on five of them, including field goals. So, you know, that's that I mean, that's the other thing. When you when the offense kicks in, this is one of those offenses that once it starts piling up the points, if you cannot keep up with that or slow it down, it's going to bury you. And it felt to me like the passing attack was where it really got just reduced for Miami. And with a guy like Dyke, if you can't, you know, if you can't, if you can't, if you're not producing through the air, it, it, that just, that's very difficult. It's not every team can transition to, okay, we're only running the ball well with no passing attack and it's just hard to do. You're absolutely right. Uh, North Carolina had zero turnovers. So to your point about not turning the ball over when you don't turn the ball over and instead are scoring touchdowns and field goals, that's a hard thing to overcome for a team. And like I, I, Miami had 500 yards of offense, average six yards of play, had 391 passing yards, had 112 rushing yards and lost. And like, I, I don't know. I it's really it's tough, you know. You you got to if you want to beat North Carolina, I I'm convinced you have to score points. You cannot you cannot go in with the idea we're going to stop them on defense because to this point nobody has. And so I don't know. We might be staring down at a Mac Brown ACC Championship game berth where the UNC goes to the ACC Championship game yep. again and this year they might win it. If they they get the right draw, I mean, look, Florida State does appear to be a juggernaut, but also Florida State needed uh, shenanigans to beat Boston College. So like, I don't know. They're too similar. They didn't know who to throw the ball to. You know. Yeah. You know what? That's how it goes. You're right. Boston College gets them that way. That's how it goes. And it was and it was in yeah. Boston too. You know, it was in. The, you know, you're right. It's uh, a great question. Uh, wonderful question. I'll give you the last word on this game. What were your, what was your final thoughts on this? I, I, I think, okay. I, this is a bit of a longer word than I mean, probably have to say, but Mario feels like a lot of coaches that I have watched coach my teams where he can recruit the, you know, recruit the snot out of players. He can bring in talent like you wouldn't believe. But then when you get out there on the field or the court, because I've had some basketball coaches that were just like this recruited top tier five star talent and then when they go out there they run weird plays that only work against man when the team is in a zone defense and, and they, they just they're making these decisions that don't make any sense. Um, you know, he feels like that kind of coach and the hardest part about this whole thing, you know, Mac Brown being such a steady hand, even when they're not winning, he's calm and and at times vindictive with his handshakes. And then a guy like Mario where you know, a little bit. I don't know how long you can. I don't. It's so hard as a Miami fan and admin to look at that and say, "What? What do you do here? How do you? 
what where's the where's the joy for you on this team? Because recruiting that produces limited results is only going to take you so far. Been there, it sucks. And so sure. when you see a team like Miami underperform, just I mean they could have lost this game but hung with them more, and that would have felt a lot different than what we got here. And so it just feels like Mario. I'm not saying his days are numbered. It's still pretty early in his tenure to do that. But if this is sort of the kind of way he's conducting his business, he's going to get beat by these steadier hands like Mac Brown, like even Dabo, you know, because he'll be the bottleneck for the team. And that's never what you want from a coach. No, I, I think you're right. I, I need to see more from Mario Crystal Ball before I'm willing to be like, yeah, this guy is a good to great coach. I, I need to see it. Oh, excellent Go ahead. Recruiter. Sure, we I give him that, but I we are talking about we're talking about someone who has irreparably harmed his team in multiple games at Oregon, at Miami, at FIU. <laughs> I just, mm, I I just. I, I really look back at his time at FIU. He had two good seasons. Everyone is hanging their hat on those two good seasons and saying, look, he's a great coach. He got FIU to eight games. And it's like at FIU, he went one and 11, five and seven, three and nine, three and nine. And the other two seasons that were all losing. It's like, I don't know. I don't know how good of a coach he is. Yes. He won 12 games at Oregon. Great. Yeah. He then immediately after that won four games at Oregon, <laughs> like, which again was the 2020 season, sure. But like, I'm not, I'm not yeah. seeing where the advancement is here, and that's the problem I'm having. Is that's the problem? Is like, yeah, sure, he's won, he's had occasional yep. spots of excellent play. Yes, he's won. He won. He won the pack. Won the pack twelve. Great. Won the Pac-12. Won the won the uh, the Sun Belt. All of that's great, but he has jumped ship every time. He got fired from FIU. He jumped ship from Oregon, and now he's at Miami, where he's gone nine and nine in eighteen games. Maybe this is who he is. We'll see. I mean, it's only two years. Maybe next year they'll go undefeated with national championship. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um. I do want to move over from one remote part of the country in the southeastern all the way there to let's go all the way to the northwest uh, where two teams in Seattle showed up. My my son was calling them the O's and the W's, and that's about as apt as a as a name as we're going to get them. But the Oregon Ducks and the Washington Huskies played what was just an absolute banger of a football game. I just loved every second of it. Couldn't couldn't turn away. Couldn't stop watching it. I Man, this is the second year in a row these two teams played another one. I Did you catch any of the game? I know we were all supposed to be watching it. What did you think? What did you get out of it? Yeah, it was on at the same time as my as my Popes. And I, unlike a lot of people, do not have the YouTube TV quad box madness. Um, but, it, I mean, I watched as much of this as I could. And it was, I mean, you want to talk about a different experience from the game I just talked about. This was... Two teams hitting on all cylinders, throwing haymakers. It was incredible. And, you know, this is one of those one of those losses 
that I don't know, based on how the game went, if, if it had gone even the other direction, I wouldn't hold sure. a loss against anybody. Like, Oregon, they should stay ranked right where they are. If Washington had lost this, they should stay ranked right where they are. It's just, they are, they are, so, this was incredible. I mean, you know, Penix, that's, that's a game where you look at him and say, okay, man. You get to go to the Heisman ceremony this year. I don't know. I, I I'm not going to call you a winner yet, but you're building quite the narrative, and it's a narrative competition. That's what it is, and he's building a good story right now. And it was, but even 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 story aside, this was unbelievably. This was such a great game, and you know, I I don't put a whole lot of stock in it, but you know, you look at the win probability chart on ESPN. It's it's fun just to see that to track how games momentum shifts. And it hangs pretty close to the middle line for a while. And then right down the end, it swings up and down just violently. And it's, you know, this game was all over. No, the you're absolutely right. I it It's one of those games where it had six lead changes. Um, a game where both teams decided we are going to go for the win. We're going to go for the jugular. Uh, they both went for two and got it. Yes. You know, they both decided like fourth down. Yeah, going for it. Sorry, you're not going to stop us. And I want to I want to give credit here. DeBoer went for it on fourth and one from the one and didn't get it. Oregon at the end of the first half, at the end of the second quarter, went for it on fourth from fourth and goal from the one and didn't get it either. But they had to kick the field goal. We're having a different conversation about this game. And I just want to really shout out Lanning and DeBoer. Both of them, both of them went and played phenomenal games. I. Michael Penix Jr. outdueled Bo Nix again. And like, and I don't mean to say that as a pejorative. Like, I don't don't want to make, don't take this as me talking down about Bo Nix. Bo Nix played a great game. Like, if Bo Nix was to use this and win the Heisman as as Josiah is a narrative award, Bo Nix played great, didn't have any interceptions, had, you know, several great runs for first downs, threw the ball amazing. He did everything he could to win. But Michael Penix Jr. went out there through four touchdowns, threw for 300 yards, dropped absolute dimes. I just dropped abs yes. like there's a pass he throws to Odunze in this and when when everyone's rushing and they're like they scored too fast, I'm like, no. First of all, I disagree with the prospect of you can score too fast. You score when you score. Like no, we we gotta take the lead. Forget too fast. Yes. Defense, we pay you to stop people. So like get out there and stop them. The throw that he threw to Odunze in tight coverage with the defender having leverage and the sideline to help, he put that ball in a place that only Odunze could get it. It was beautiful. And Odunze caught it and said, we're going home with the win here. I just, it was a phenomenal game. The wide receivers for Washington, and I say this all the time, and people like really always say, yeah, you're right. They are. The wide receivers for Washington are amazing. They just... They catch everything. I'm going to read you some numbers here. Pass targets. Romo Duze, eight catches, eight targets, 128 yards, two touchdowns. Jalen Polk, six catches, eight targets, 118 yards, one touchdown. Got Giles Jackson, six catches, seven targets, 58 yards, one touchdown. Jack Westover, one catch, one target, two yards, and he scored on a two-point conversion. Dylan Johnson, two catches, two targets, 10 yards. They are not out here putting the ball on the turf. They are not out here missing it. Like they're you throw it in their direction, they're catching it. Period. Like, and 
again, I get that it's a mm-hmm. it's the Heisman is an individual award. John Heisman himself was like, look, I don't want an individual award with my name on it. It's a team game. Michael Pinnock Jr. is having just one of the all-time great seasons, and I will keep saying this. Now that he's done it, I said if he beat if he beats Oregon, he's gonna win the Heisman. He absolutely at this moment, it is him versus the field. I just I love watching him. He throws a tight spiral, a beautiful pass, and I I am so excited to see him take this over. Go go get that Heisman and take Washington to the playoff. It's just it's so beautiful to watch. It's incredible. Well, and like and and he's putting up numbers. I mean, he's only got he's already got 2300 passing yards on the season but the thing that's so striking when you just look at it as at the big picture of his body of work he's almost at a seven to one touchdown to interception ratio which is really really good like if you told me you can have a quarterback with a seven to one ratio i'd be like i will take that every time because that is i mean he's gonna throw seven touchdowns per interception and and he's only got three interceptions on this season so far and, you know, you can credit the wide receivers with that to some degree. But like you said, that he's just dropping the ball in a bucket every uh, – maybe not every yeah. play, but it feels like every play. And I think my one sadness about the game is that it didn't go to overtime because I think, you know, Oregon missing that field goal – and, and I, I was fine with whoever won that game down the stretch. I was like, you both have played amazing. There's no loser here. There's only a winner. Sure. I, I know Oregon fans don't feel that way. I wanted it to go to overtime because I wanted to see I, – I, I part partly just as a representation of how close this game was. Because once a game hits overtime, there's a certain amount of le- leeway that we'll give because they're like, okay, it's overtime. You guys are evenly matched. If you lose in overtime, it, it looks a lot different on a resume. And and no one's going to – who who had any watch this game is going to look at this and say, man, Oregon's terrible. <laughs> like that's, that's not the reaction anyone's going to get. But – I wanted overtime from this because I wanted to see the pressure cooker that overtime does and see how these teams attack that because of the offense is being so dominant, so explosive. You know, this is a this is a game that if it had gone to overtime and they had, I mean, you could have seen a version of that Penn State game from years ago where it was sure. like eight, nine overtimes because they're just scoring every single time. I mean, and I I'm sure not everybody feels that way about the way it ended. But I was seeing them line up with the field goal, and I was like, "Yes, overtime! This is going to be great." As a non, as a fan, as someone who's not a fan of either team and doesn't want it to end, <laughs> I was—I ex- mean, I was really hyped for that. And you know, it's—it didn't happen that way. Washington, you got to make your field goals, and you know, it doesn't cheapen the win for Washington that they won on a missed field goal. Because if you don't make your field goals, you, you lose. Like that's how it works. Um, so, but I, I just, I wanted to see overtime just because I wanted to watch these offenses cook. For a no, I, I hear that. I, I have no qualms with how the game ended. I, I want to really point something out because I want to talk about the last series that Oregon had Oregon. They take the kickoff uh, at the 35 to get a touchback. They methodically march down the field. They have a minute 38 left. They get past the 50. And then as soon as they get to. First and 10 at the Washington 40. This is 17 seconds left in the game. They're the final plays, the final four plays of the game. 15-yard pass for a first down. Passing complete on first and 10 from the 25. Passing complete second and 10 from the Washington 25. Missed field goal from the Washington 26. The Washington defense at the end of the game said, we are not going to allow you to go one step further. 
You got you are outside the red zone. You are going to have to kick this. You're going to have to kick this field goal. You're going to have to make it. And he kicked it from the dead center of the field. And he kicked it wide right. I just, it, it was a great game. Mm-hmm. I have no problems with the way it ended. I don't blame the kicker on this at all. Did not his fault. Oh, yeah. The teams did everything they could to win this game. In fact, they should have relied on their kicker at the end of the second at the end of the second quarter when they went for it. Again, I'm fine with being aggressive. Fine. Look, Dan Lanning, I get it. You ain't no punk. I loved it. It was great. But at the same time, you could have took points there. Mm-hmm. Had you taken points there, you wouldn't need your kicker at the end of the game to win the game. You would have been already going in overtime because you would have had those three points. I just I, I love the game. It was a great game. It was a real banger. It was two teams that were not scared to play to win. And that's that's what I want. I want that's you right. play a game like this every week. I, that's what I yep. want. I, if we could watch Washington and Oregon play every week, it'd be great. But they, they're only going to play once. And, and this is the last time they're going to play as members of the Pac-12. So I – I, I this is and again uh, our for our other co-host Jeff says constantly this is an Irish wake for the Pac-12. It, it this this makes it even more bittersweet that and, and and again Josiah and I have had this conversation multiple times with others who like they're blaming ESPN, they're blaming Fox, they're blaming the Pac-12 and their chronic mismanagement. At the end of the day, this mostly public institution conference. Had, had had its existence dictated to it by private interests. That's my issue. My issue is that private entities told public entities, public institutions, your existence is based on our whim. That's my issue with this. That's what I have a problem with. It doesn't matter that Larry Scott chronically mismanaged this place for over a decade. That's fine. He's gone now. What happened to this place is that all of these public institutions, two of them who just played a great football game, I might add, their conference was destroyed by private interests who decided that their football product wasn't worth collectively what they could get for it individually. That's my issue. I have a real problem with that. And we'll continue. And I will continue to say this, that the public institute institution should not be dictated to by private forces. Um, I'll keep making that. I'll keep ringing that bell until somebody stops me. Um, I do want to jump over. I know you had a couple of things that you wanted to put of note. Let's talk about Colorado State getting their first win against Boise State. It was exciting, man. Like, I, you know, there's been this general prevailing narrative that Colorado State's sort of a, a sleeping G5 giant because they have a lot of money and facilities and stuff. But, you know, you look at this, they haven't played Boise that much. And when I looked this up, it was only like sure. 12, 13 games total that they'd ever played, which to me is a little shocking just because you're in the area, you'd expect it to happen more, but they got the first win. They beat Boise. And if anything, it's, it's a testament to Colorado state's not maybe a great team this year, but they are, are good enough to hang with a, a feisty and explosive and, and at times turbulent Colorado. And they're good enough. They beat Boise. And that I, that's kind of stuff that you, I want to celebrate too, because you know, there are teams like Louisiana Monroe that they beat Bama once. And that is a big, that is cool. That's a big deal. You know, there's, you never beat this team. And then you finally turn that corner. That's no matter what level of football you're in, that's an exciting thing for fans. Cause you know, again, I've, I've got a rivalry <laughs> in my state that is basically an auto loss every year. But when you get that win, or if you get that win for the first time in a long time or ever, it's a big, it, it's such a, 
it is a good feeling, even if, you know, it doesn't change the overall record and doesn't maybe flip the fortunes for next year. It's it's just super cool to see teams get into that point. I, 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 you know, no other real thoughts about the game itself, just that I like seeing fans of teams that have had a hard road get some wins. In- no, I, again, I, I tell anybody this Colorado state team, it may not be the quote unquote sleeping giant that everyone thinks it is, but they're a solid football program. Again, I say what you will about Colorado and we have turbulent is a great way to describe them, particularly the, I love this. Do y'all like that? Ah, listen, Dion, you know, I, coach prime, all those turn, all those penalties, that's coaching. That ain't love or like that's coaching. So you need to tighten some things up over there in Boulder, but Putting all that to the side, uh, Colorado State went out there, played a hell of a game. And then if you talked earlier about the win probability, this win probability at no point in time was less than 75% for Boise State until the last second. And so I'm looking at it right now. Let me see if I can share it for you. But you want to talk about something that that absolutely sticks out. This is going to stick out to the Boise State faithful because it was Below, 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 and then all of a sudden, the very last second, it went to 100% for Colorado State, who kicked the game game winner. This game had an over-under of 60 points. 30-31 was the final score. Boise was minus 7.5. They said that this team is a touchdown better than Colorado State. Colorado State went in there and won the game. So, I shout out to the Rams. I, I'm very excited for you. You played a hell of a game. And look, sometimes... You have a rough season, a thing Boise State doesn't do very often. I saw some other games you had on here. Sunflower State can't say anything to me personally. Tell me what that means. <laughs> That's just Oklahoma State. I fully, fully expected us to lose the last few games, and especially after last year with the whole K-State when we practiced. It did some weird stuff, I guess, that just did not pan out. They completely ground us to a pulp. Then KU beat us. Um, and, and, and this year I was like, all right, those are two losses on the schedule after how, you know, the first three or four weeks, I was like, okay, we're going to lose those games, but maybe we can get bowl eligible elsewhere and winning both, not just one, not just split, but both of them. I'm not kidding when I say I'm surprised, like it's, it, it was incredible from a Pokes fan perspective, just you know, KU is a good team. It's not, they're not the Kansas of, of yore. They're not, they are good. They are a competent and solid team. And I'm not saying that to make my team look good. It's everyone in the Big 12 has accepted that Kansas is now competent and is a strong program. And is it is kind of that feisty blue, I don't want to say blue collarish, but they've got kind of the aesthetic of an Oregon State and, and other teams where there's a good defense. They run the ball really well. They'll zig where some teams might zag in that respect. And it's just, you know, they're going to be a nightmare to play every year. And they're still 5-2. and two. They could still have an insanely good year from this point on. It's, it's, But, yeah, it, it just I will say for the Pokes, I was kind of worried that we wouldn't make a bowl game. We still might not. I mean, that kind of thing can happen. But if we can beat these two teams, it feels a lot more likely that my team, that the Pokes can beat other teams to get to six wins. Um, and I've said before, I don't think we'll win in Bedlam, but it would be the funniest thing to do this year now that OU is sort of, you know, back on track for national title aspirations and stuff uh, to go in there and beat them would be hilarious. Uh, Nothing else. Just, it would be funny to me, not to anybody else in the Sooner state, probably. Let's all play the schedule game. So 
Oklahoma State has now uh, played Iowa State in a loss, Kansas State in a win, and now the University of Kansas in another win. Next week, they are going to Morgantown to play West Virginia, who I might add, West Virginia is also 4-2 and two and having a great season for Neil Brown and the Fighting Mountaineers. So that's going to be an interesting game. And never forget, we talk a lot about Morgantown. It's a long trip for West Virginia to go places. Well, I want you all to know, Stillwater to Morgantown, it's the same distance as Morgantown to Stillwater. So that is a long trip for the Cowboys. Not easy. Also, love the orange helmets, Cowboys. Wear that more often. Then they got Cincinnati coming to visit them. Uh, that's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Then they've got Oklahoma, not at the end of the season. Is this something new or unusual, Josiah, where Oklahoma plays Oklahoma State early? It's, it's a bit unusual. I, I like it better because, again, like I said, it's an auto loss. And it's 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 nicer to put it earlier in the season, if nothing else, so that you know you get through it and you get it out of the way and you can maybe end on a win. Um, but, yeah, it's a newer thing, and I think – you know, there was a period of time where OSU and OU were kind of the front runners for the conference championship. Yeah, I completely understand. I, then you would have hmm, back-to-back I don't know. Weeks. It just seems weird. It's, it's not the end of the conference. season, but like like you said, it won't ruin your season. Uh, yeah. After that, they've got to go to Orlando against UCF, who is not having fun. Uh, then they go to Houston, who also <laughs> not having fun. And finally, they're going to end the season with Brigham Young and the Cougars coming to Stillwater. What do you see coming out of that game? Final game of the season. You know, I I have not watched enough BYU, but from what I think a similar problem with other teams that, you know, you they're, they're closer to, I think, being at the weight class on the lines. But what I'm hopeful for with them and with the other Big 12 team, new Big 12 teams, because we're playing all of them this year, which is really fun. <laughs> this is really weird how that worked out. Um, they're like, hey, welcome to the conference. You get to play us. Um, is that, you know, we're a bigger line. I know UCF has had a hard time holding up under that kind of strain. Uh, and, and, and Cincinnati appears to be not doing super great in that area either. So with the BYU game, I, I expect we are going to be, we're favored pretty heavily in that one. And I'm thinking a lot of it is a result of our recently emerging running back, Ollie Gordon II, who is lights out. I mean, he is a very good player through the air and on the ground. And so I, I'm thinking that that's a, probably a big factor. And I'm hoping that, you know, down the stretch that could be, I don't say an easy win, but that we can, you know, end on a high note there. That feels like it's much more likely of a win than it did about three weeks ago. Sounds good. We'll see. It's got a nice little schedule for the pokes, and I'm excited to see how that goes. Uh, let's talk about the uh, literal wood chipper that is up there in the Pacific Northwest, and that is, of course, the Oregon State Beavers. Uh, they're still, according to you, murdering people, and you are absolutely right. Walk me through what happened this week as they just stuffed uh, their opponent in a locker. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good description. They, that you know, we... we Kansas State got called a garbage disposal last year for being, you know, they just grind you up and spit you out. I am Oregon State's a wood chipper. They they are doing the same sort of thing in a different way. It's, you know, they're just they're shutting teams down and then they're running it really well 
and they're not doing bad at passing. DJ is doing a fine job there, but they're they're balancing it out pretty effectively. And just, you know, it's it, it feels it's not the same. I know it's not, but it feels akin to what Stanford used to do in the Pac-12 of being big, playing pretty solid defense and then moving the ball effectively on the ground in a really steady sort of a way. And it's what, you know, they're kind of doing to everybody right now. And Wazoo got one over on them, but and won the Pac-12 when they did. It was a it was a championship to remember, but they uh, you know, they're they're still very much in this. And I mean, you know, again, play the schedule game. You look at Oregon State's schedule, if they win out, which would be insane because it would mean beating Washington and Oregon, they're also going to be a playoff bound team. So, you know, they're they're a very they're a very good squad. I don't know if they can accomplish that, but you know, they're 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 doing the thing. They're doing the they're not being that high tempo air raid type team that you've seen from other other groups like Washington. They're they're getting it done on the ground. They're getting it done with defense. And, you know, I'm, I'm just happy for my beeves. They've got Arizona that they have to go to Tucson. Then they go to Boulder. Then they've got Stanford, which out of those three, they could win all three of those games. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think Oregon State can win all three. I think so, too. Yeah. But then they've got Washington <laughs> and Oregon in back to back weeks, the last of which they have to go to Eugene. Yes. I look. I Listen, if you would have told me last year that at the beginning of last year look this Oregon State team is pretty good and they are going to have a standout comeback win against Oregon and just in the last minutes of that game win against the Ducks I would have believed you and then they did it so comeback win where they were down and they said like you to your point we're not throwing the ball anymore we're gonna do what we're good at we're gonna run the ball we're gonna run down your throat we're gonna win I listen since Wazoo and Oregon State have played they've gone in opposite directions Wazoo went and lost yes. in a barn burner where they they're the barn that got burned down to Arizona. <laughs> and now Waz, me, Oregon State has a chance to go against Arizona and say, look, man, you, know, you got to play us now. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if they if they went out. They'll win the north and have a chance to play the winner of the south. Or uh, I guess there's no more. It's just standings now. So if they went out, they will have an opportunity to play. Another team to see who, who plays for the championship. So. Yeah, the, thing, the one thing that makes that a t- not entirely insane idea to me, and I know they're not going to win out, like that's beating this Washington team and Oregon. Yeah. To back seems like yeah. a big ask. But again, thinking about those Stanford teams that played Chip Kelly's Oregon. Yeah. They weren't always the best team in the conference, and they lost more games than Oregon a lot of those years. Or, or lost the same amount, but they would go out and they'd slow the game down, they'd limit possessions by running the ball well and getting one or two stops. That's all it took, and they'd bludgeon them to death. And the yeah. Oregon teams that I desperately wanted to win a national title because I loved them always got tripped up by that kind of team, and I'm not saying it'll happen this year, but these seem like the best candidate to do the thing that Utah has done and that Stanford has done in the past. This year feels like Oregon State's that team, if anyone is going to be that team. Yeah, I think you're right. Air Force is for real. I After watching the game, you're right. I, You know, Wyoming, I... I love you, folks, but yeah. Air yeah, Force did it. They, they did they it. They controlled it. Well, it just, it, I'm sorry. Wyoming, 
Wyoming had a chance to win this game mm-hmm. and couldn't get out of their own way. And and I, I and it and it's not even that the Falcons locked them down on defense and just would not. They put them in a chokehold and wouldn't let go. So Air Force is for real. They have the inside track to win the Mountain West. They have the inside track for New Year Six. And hey, I would love to see an academy back in the New Year Six Bowl. Yes. Yep. F I uh, go ahead. Okay, I was gonna say, and they get Navy next week, I believe. And they do. You know, yeah. we're gonna, you know, it, again, it's you get to see them against all the service academies. See how that shakes out and. They look like they're going to rise to the top of this whole thing. They, they're they going to get the Commander-in-Chief trophy again this year. Uh, FIU Miami Vice uni- uniforms are immaculate. Yes, they are. They are. And I shared versions of those on our socials. It's it's not school colors, but I think, you know, they think I can forgive that based on what they look like. These, they're just – they're very clean black, but then they've got palm trees in silhouettes with this pink and light blue – and, you know, it's a man, I think they're kind of you know, like a Miami Vice-esque kind of thing. And they're just, they're just mint. They're so good. And I know FIU's not having an amazing year, but they're doing better than they've done before <laughs> and they've done recently. They don't look completely, you know, like a dumpster fire. And these uniforms are so, so good as alternates. Like, they just fit the vibe of the city. They, they're doing, you know, it's the sort of thing that Miami has tried to do in their uniforms. They've gotten close, but these are just unbelievably good uniforms. And I am, every time I've, I've seen the, them, I just, just love it. It's perfect. Yeah, they played UTEP this week and uh, the Miners win and took it to them. Scored 21 in the first quarter and that was really the difference in the game. Was uh, it was a, it was not, it was not very close. Or you know, if it was close, it was they, the miners were totally in control, picks up and everything. But, but yeah, the the the, the FIU uniforms are gorgeous. And like I said, those are on our on our socials, which I'll plug here. We Please do. We, we got blue sky. We've got Twitter slash X. We've got Instagram. Um, you know, we're 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 posting on there, sharing some stuff, talking to folks, and as as always, if you ever want to like chat to us, uh, you know, just get at us on there or reply to something we post. We'll talk to you. Um, but yeah, I posted those those uniforms on there just because I thought they were unbelievable, very very cool stuff. They're very nice. I I do love that on the center at fifty yard line. It's three oh five. So. Yeah. I listen, I look, do cool and interesting things that are that are specific to your locality. I, I think that's that is important for the sport. I think the long term health of the sport will depend on regionality and not being a national product. That is. And, go ahead. Yeah. And, and to, to really bolster that point, there's no reason why the private institution out in Coral Gables should get to claim your city. From you, the public university in the unit in the Miami area, you are the you get to, you you could you know like I I like the U I do but and they they were really cool they've been good but you know seeing FIU say no we're Miami's team I kind of like that a little better because yeah it's the public university it's the people's institution it's here for them and you know I'm I. I enjoy that part of it too. Like, yeah, we're here. We, I mean, we're not winning national titles, but you aren't either. So let's 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 show off a little bit. Agreed. And they had a Lambo on the field too. So look, it was all around victory for for FIU. So good. <laughs> I love it. Listen again. It's fu- it's about fun, guys. Like, yes, that's exactly right. 
this is like for as much as as I talk, as I as I bemoan that it's too corporate, that there's too much money in the game, that there's too much, just too many interests, that the postseason is owned by ESPN, which I think is really a big problem that everyone seems to keep ignoring. Like I've been saying this for months, and then maybe another podcaster may have mentioned it, and it's like, oh, it's owned by ESPN. It's like, yeah, that's the thing I've been saying the whole time, guys. I've, I've been lamenting that the whole time, but I. The sport is at its best when it's when the uniqueness of the institutions that participate is on display. Mm-hmm. That's where that's what it is. And like yep. what makes Stillwater great is like you go there and you see people with the paddles hitting the side of the stadium and eating literal Sonic food inside the stadium. Like that's right. That's that is right. what makes the stadium amazing. <laughs> what makes it unique is when they say, yeah, you know, our biggest ri- ri- arrival is Oklahoma, but like, I don't know, we really don't like the people in Lubbock for a variety of reasons, much less like they stole our mascot or whatever. Like those are things that make the game interesting. Like, yeah, please like make it local, make it to something that is unique to you and your institution. And that's, you know, I watched Tennessee state play a game. Their homecoming was off campus. And, Whatever, yeah, you know, they did that because Norfolk State Stadium is three times the size of their stadium, and they don't want to look like they have a small stadium. And I get it. Fine, yeah. Norfolk State lost the game anyway. Um, oh, also an update: Howard lost to Harvard. That's all we're gonna say about it. So, what, what I will emphasize, though, what I will emphasize, though, please, is Northwestern barely beat Howard. Sure barely. did, barely. Lucky to do, lucky to have done it. Yeah. Harvard beat them by a good bit more. Harvard, better than Northwestern. Lots of people are saying it. A lot of people are saying that, yeah. <laughs> Especially the people in Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm going to get us out of here. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say, like, last, 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 again, Please. what you said. It's supposed to be fun. Make weird alternate uniforms. Throw tortillas on the field. Um, have a chainsaw on the sidelines with no chain on it. But, you know, rev it up when you want. Like, do the fun, quirky, weird things. These schools are for us to go to, and the sports are for us to enjoy. And they're for the people in the area. And, and you know, people from outside can come and join in, too, if they want. But, you know, it's more fun when you are enjoying it, when it's part of what you want it to be, and not, you know, some clean, polished brand that sells well and makes good advertising revenue. You know, make, be weird where you want to be weird and interesting where you want to be interesting with your sports with your schools lean into that stuff it's more it's so much more fun it's so much more fun that pistol pete looks like a weird horror story you know in the mascot form and then the cartoon form is funny cartoony i love that about that it's fun to ring a cowbell in a stadium full of cowbells go do that stuff even if your team's losing 28 to 0 every time that part can still be fun you're absolutely right. Next week, you're going to be watching James Madison University at Marshall. And also, I see South Dakota State and the Jackrabbits at SIU. Tell me about the FCS matchup, because I, I get it. Yeah, whatever, James Madison. Yeah, they're great. But let, let's talk about South Dakota State and SIU for a second. Yeah, I mean, they are th- – those are both very, very good squads. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that shakes out, because, you know, they are – they're both um, – there's one loss between the two of them. South Dakota State's uh, gotten has won everything so far, and South Southern Illinois has only lost one game. So that's that's kind of a meeting of 
two of the top teams in in the FCS right now. And with North Dakota State taking a bit of a nosedive, that really opens just a bit can happen. <laughs> just, yeah, just a, a bit. bit, just a bit. The standing talking point for me is never play Dakota, even if you are a Dakota. Um, and so, you know, I, that to me is exciting. I'm I want to see how that shakes out because that's. That's again, those are institutions local to their area. They're really cool. Lots of fun traditions there. I know people that have either gone there or currently work at those places. And it's, it's, you know, they're, they're important, important schools and their teams are good. Let's see how that shakes out. Guess they won't be migrating to Texas sometime this year. Oh, well, Adam is going to be mad about that. I'm sorry, Adam. Not really, but I don't know. Maybe you'll watch the playoffs at home with me. Like, like you, like, like you do. Maybe you'll be at home watching the FCS playoffs this year. Uh, But anyways, Josiah, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Always great to hear from you. Uh, We'll be back next week. Maybe all three of us will be here. Who knows? We'll all be together one way or another. But uh, I will tell everybody, enjoy the games. We're coming up on the second half of the season. Get in as much football as you can. And don't forget to feed your masters.